Welcome to the Islands Christian Church Podcast. We're so glad you're listening with us today. You can worship with us in person in Savannah, Georgia, or with our live stream every Sunday at 10 a.m. Take a minute to subscribe to this podcast to hear a new message every Monday. Thanks for listening. Okay, so we're in this Joshua series, and we're jumping today pretty much all the way near the end of the book, like the next to the last chapter. And you're thinking, well, Stephen, that's, we were like on chapter 8 last week or whatever, and we're going all the way to the end. Well, we could spend the next two years preaching through Joshua if you wanted to, right? But, I, you know, Easter's coming, and we're going to move on. And so we're jumping ahead, and, and so what's been going on and throughout the book of Joshua, for the most part, is they've been conquering the land. They're taking one city-state after another. They're winning. They're winning the battles. And Joshua is coming to the end of his life, and he's getting ready to die, and he's going to share with them some parting words. Now, you know this. When a person is, person is nearing their death, they say things that matter. They say things that are important. They say things they want you to remember. And that happened with my dad. It's probably happened with you when you've lost your parents or someone you cared about. They're saying the important things to you. Oftentimes, it's, I love you. Oftentimes, it's, I'm proud of you. And so Joshua does that. He's, he knows he's near the end of his life, and he's saying the things that he wants the Israelites to remember after he's long gone. He wants them to remember this for generations. And so in this, these passages we're going to read today is Joshua chapter 23, uh, uh, verses 9 through 13. And sandwiched in between these verses, 9 through 13, is verse 11. And I want you to pay special close attention to what Joshua says in verse 11. All right? Pay special close attention to what he says in verse 11. So let's read this. Remember, see, the leader of the nation, he's led a major military campaign. He is nearing the end of his life. This is what he says to the nation. Listen to this, verse 9 of chapter 23. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand Because, why? Because the Lord your God fights for you, just as he promised. So, be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord, your God, has given you. Now, let's just break this down. In verses 9 and 10, Joshua says, hey, this is what God has done for you. God has given you victory. Every battle you've come up against, every person you face, you have had victory. Like one of you is like a thousand men. In other words, you've been an overpowering force in this land. And why has that been the case? Not because you're amazing military people. Not because you have amazing strategy. Why have you experienced the success, Israelites? Because the Lord your God has been with you. Just that simple idea that God is with you. And so him being with you is what's given you this success. And then in verse 11, he gives them this, the greatest piece of advice. All right? And then in verses 12, 13, through 13, he tells them the consequence of them not following his advice in verse 11. So what's his advice in verse 11? Be very careful then to love the Lord your God. Now, isn't that interesting? Love. 
Not be very careful then to obey, be very careful then to do what he tells you, but be very careful then to love the Lord your God, to love the Lord your God. So he's saying, hey, God has done all this work. He has led you to victory. Therefore, be very careful to love the Lord your God because of what he's done for you. And then in verses 12 through 13, he says, and if, if you don't, if you don't love the Lord your God, if you, if you don't love him, then what's going to happen is bad stuff. I mean, if you just look back at those, uh, those verses in 12 through 13, he says that, that the people that are left in this land will become snares and traps for you. They'll become whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes. And then he says, until you perish from this good land, which the Lord your God has given you. In other words, Joshua is saying, you will end up dying and this nation will lose this land based on one single thing that you leave out. And that one single thing is, if you do not love the Lord your God. Loving God. This is key. This is sandwiched in the middle. This is his advice. Make sure you love God. Now, when you hear this passage, you might feel a little like a, well, this feels vindictive. This feels manipulative. That, that God is saying, uh, you know, hey, if you don't love me, if you don't love me, I'm going to get you. If, you. if you don't love me, then I'm going to let bad things happen to you. It feels a little that way. But let, me, let me tell you why it feels that way to you and why it feels that way to me. It's because we are more informed by, uh, our understanding of love is more informed by the way we feel and the way we think. Our understanding of love is more informed by Hallmark movies and Hollywood and media. Our understanding of love is more informed by uh, what we experience from other people, how they've loved us badly. So our understanding of love is informed by all these things other than God. So God has an understanding of love that is not like our understanding of love. So to think about it this way, Joshua isn't saying, hey, if you don't love God, then God's going to get you. That's, he's, you know, you don't want to offend God because when you offend him, he, he does bad things to you. That's not what Joshua is saying. In the simplest way, what Joshua is saying is that when you and I, as God people, when we don't put God first, when we don't love him above all things, this is the natural consequence of not loving God. This is what he's telling them. He's saying, listen, Israelites, when you don't love God, it's not that God's going, hey, I'm going to out to get you. It's that this is the natural outcome of not putting God first. And the reason that is, is because if I'm not putting God first, Israelites, if you're not putting God first, then you're looking to something other than God to protect you, to give, keep you safe, to give you hope, to give you confidence, to give you joy. You're looking to something other than God to fulfill your life. And without fail, anything you look to other than God to fulfill you, to give you hope, to give you confidence, it not only doesn't give you those things, it actually hurts you and destroys you. And some of you in the room are going, I could stand up and finish the sermon right now. If you'll sit down, I will testify from this point forward about how what you said is so true. And anybody who's like under 25 in the room or watching online, if they will just hear that, 
that anytime you're pursuing anything other than God to fulfill you, to give you joy, to give you confidence, to give you satisfaction, to give you hope, to protect you, anything other than God, the natural consequence of that is destruction. It's a natural outcome. It's not that God's going, I told you if you didn't love me, I was going to get you. And now I got you. That's, that's, how, that's how we're trained to see God because that's how we're trained to see love. But this is not the love of God. This is not the way the scriptures describe it. You see, when we make being happy and fulfilling, fulfilling our desires the primary thing in life, as opposed to loving God and serving God and pleasing Him first, you will experience pain. Very simple. In essence, what Joshua is saying is, if you depend on yourself, you're not going to experience wholeness, you're not going to experience peace. But if you put Him first, and you depend on Him only, you will. No matter what's happening around you, no matter what chaos is taking place around you, you will. And what that means practically, just in everyday life, for me and I, I think for anybody who's trying to follow Jesus, is that daily I have to say no to myself. That I have these built-in kind of desires that are opposed to God. And the world says, hey, you shouldn't let anything hinder you and your happiness. Come on, we've all been taught that since we were this young. You shouldn't let anything hinder you and your happiness. Nothing should get in the way of you being you. Hey, we got a whole saying, hey, you do you. Right? YOLO, you do you. But what Joshua was saying is if we choose to live that way, if we choose to say, hey, I'm not going to love God, I'm going to love me, we need to understand that there's a consequence to that. That me is not the best leader for me. Can I say that again? Me is not the best leader for me. And some of you right now are going, you're out of your mind, man. Who, who would be a better leader, than, better, than, better leader than me? Jesus is a better leader than you. And some of you in the room have lived long enough to go, again, I could testify. <laughs> and I have to say no to myself. But as a culture, you know, in general, our culture is really confused about love right now. So let's, let's camp out here for a second. Our culture is really confused about love. Um, we tend to see love this way. We tend to see love as uh, something like a mutually beneficial relationship complete with total affirmation for whatever I want to do. Okay? The way we see love is this way. We, say, we think, for if Matt loves me, over here, this guy's named Matt, if Matt loves me, then the relationship is beneficial to me. It's got to be beneficial. If it's not beneficial to me, then he doesn't love me. Okay? got to be beneficial to me. And, and the other thing that Matt has to do to prove his love to me is he has to 100% totally affirm everything I say, do, and want to be. And at any point he says, yeah, I don't know if that's a good idea, Stephen. Then what do I say to Matt? You don't love me. All these years that I thought you loved me, you don't even love me. 
This is how our culture is understanding love right now. It's got to be this benefiting, you know, uh, you know they, they would say mutually benefiting. They would say, hey, I'm going to benefit you and you're going to benefit me and, there's gonna, and then I'm going to totally affirm everything you want and you're going to totally affirm everything I want. And we kind of see this love as an agreement. Like, hey, if you accept me with zero exceptions and you meet my needs, then I'll do the same for you. And then our love will continue. This is what love is in our culture right now. Meet my needs, affirm me no matter what, and we'll do okay. But if you don't meet my needs, even once, and you don't affirm anything and everything I say and do and feel, then how could you not love me? That is not the idea of biblical love. This is hard because, he, please stay with me first. Don't, don't leave. I know, you, I know you're like, I don't like where he's going. That's not the idea of biblical love. And I know that's hard. It's so hard because we have these ideas of God that are more informed by the social media videos we watch. They're more informed by the TikTok videos we watch. They're more informed by the Hallmark movies we watch. The, the ideas of God that we have are more informed by like just our general sense of like, this is what I think God is. And I'm telling you, those things will all be full of deceit and lies because God has actually shown us what he is and who he is and what his love is. He's actually shown that to us. We don't have to guess. We don't have to go searching. We just simply have to receive. Okay, okay. So the idea of God's love is this word, and you, if you've been around church any length of time, you know this, this word called agape. It's a Greek word. It's used in uh, the New Testament writings, and it's used to refer to God's love, to the love of Christ. Uh, agape is a love, unlike brotherly love, like Matt and I's love, right? Although I have agape love for Matt, and Matt has agape love for me, because this is a love that not only God has for me, it's the love that I'm called to have towards God, and it's the love that I'm called to have towards my brothers and sisters in Christ, this agape love. And our culture is tough because we just have word love. We don't have different words. We just have word love. And so today you will go to eat somewhere for lunch, and you might say what about that place? Man, I love, where y'all going to lunch? Jalapenos. Man, I love jalapenos, right? Two-thirds of y'all go to jalapenos, don't lie. So I love jalapenos. And so we use the word love to refer to like, I love chocolate cake. Who doesn't love chocolate cake, right? I love, but then we also say, I love my mama. And then we also say, I love Marianne. But we're using the same now, certainly, though, certainly there's a difference between how I love brownies. I'm trying to love them a little less. How I love brownies and how I love Marianne. Certainly there's a difference, right? But see, in, in our language, it's tough because we don't really have a distinction. But in, in the language of the New Testament, there's this distinction, this word for agape. And what the word means at its foundation isn't simply, I'm getting something from you, therefore I love you. No, 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 no. The word means I choose, that's a key part of this, I choose, I have a will, and in my will, I choose to seek your highest good. I believe the best about you. 
I want the best for you. When I think of you, I'm not self-seeking. I'm you-seeking. When I agape you, I'm willing to sacrifice for you. I'm willing to lay down my life for you. I'm willing to give everything I have so you can achieve your greatest potential. I believe in you. I believe in your highest good. And I'm going to do whatever it takes in the sense of my own sacrifice to give that to you. I'm not going to be self-protecting or self-seeking, but I'm going to be self-sacrificing. Now, does this not sound like what God has done for us if you've been around Jesus for any length of time? And this is the love he's called for me to have towards you and towards others. And so now we think, Stephen, this isn't possible. This type of love between humans is, is just not possible. And you're right. So if you're not a believer in Jesus, you don't only really bind to the stuff, you're not there yet, you're, you're right, 100%. You're right. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, which means God's Spirit lives inside of you. And so the God who created this love, the God who defines himself as God is love, God is agape, this God actually lives inside of you through the Holy Spirit. He indwells you. So when you tell me that it's just not possible for you to live your life with agape love towards your loved ones and towards people around you, you're saying that the God who lives inside of me can't do this. But it is possible because the Holy Spirit lives Inside of us, in each of us as Christians, we can lean, lean into, listen, obey, follow this Holy Spirit. We can listen to Him, and He can teach us how to have a self-sacrificing love. Now, is it hard? Anybody want to say yes? Is it hard? Do you ever feel like you're being taken advantage of? Nobody ever takes advantage of the grace of Jesus, do they? Yes, it's hard. Because, but because something's hard doesn't mean that it's not right. Yeah, it's, it's difficult. It's tough. But it's what we're called to. You see... One of the problems with our culture's understanding of love, that it's got to be mutually benefiting, and you've got to affirm everything I say and do, and you've got to meet my needs. One of the problems with this concept of love is that eventually, at some point in your relationship with this person, you're going to come up against a scenario <laughs> where they're not going to be able to meet your needs. You know why? Because they're a human being, and they're flawed. And so, so many people I know get into these romantic relationships, and they're like, well, they split up after a couple years. I'm like, well, what happened? Well, he just wasn't, or she just wasn't meeting my needs anymore. I'm like, well, like, what do you mean anymore? Like once or twice, and what were your needs? And why were you looking to him or her to have your needs met anyway? Like, I don't know that any flawed human being can meet your needs. I, don't, I think only the God of heaven through his son, Jesus Christ, can meet your needs. And that's the only way your needs are going to be met. And when you realize that your needs are met through Jesus, then you can actually love someone with a self-sacrificial agape love, not looking to them to meet your needs. And then you can be married a long time. 26 years in May, people. And so, and so, what happens in our culture is we're like going, hey, I need you to meet my needs. I need you to, you know, self, I need you to affirm everything about me, be beneficial to me. And then eventually that person's going to fail you. They're not going to be able to meet your needs. Or they're, 
you're going to eventually do something that they, they do not affirm. <laughs> like, what are you thinking? Like, don't do that. Wait a minute. You don't accept me anymore. Like, that's going to happen eventually. And you're going to get back on the train with somebody else. And you're going to do it over and over and over and over and over again. And it's all because you just have the wrong idea of love. And here's the thing. That idea of love makes its way into how people love God. And you don't think it's true, but this is what happens. We know as Christians that we're called to love God. And everybody who's sitting here, everybody who's attending online, listening to the podcast later, if you're a Christian and I said, hey, do you love God? You would all say what? Hey, do you love God? Some of you are like, I don't know, bro. Sounds like it's a trick question. I'm not so sure now after what you've been preaching. We all know that we're supposed to love God. But oftentimes, our relationship with God becomes just like those relationships with people. We need it to be mutually benefiting. And we need him to affirm everything about us for him to approve his love to us. Now, who has, who's, who's making the connection I'm, that I made? The way we view love in our culture has crept into the way Christians view loving God. And, and the thing is, it's not like there's two loves. There's love in our culture and then there's loving God. No, the love that's happening in our culture is not working. It's bad. It's not working. There's only the way where we love self-sacrifice and giving of our lives to others. But this idea has crept into loving God. And I know this is true because throughout the years of being in the ministry, uh, 25 years of ordained ministry, I have met people who've given up on God and walked away from their faith simply because something bad happened in their life that they didn't think was fair. That they think God should have stopped. God didn't stop. And they're like, I'm done with God. I don't do church anymore. I don't do Jesus anymore. I'm done with all of that. And I completely understand that feeling. If I stood here and told you that I've never had that, that battle inside of me, I would be lying to you. I have had that battle in my life. I'm, my suspicion is I'm not done having that battle in my life. Like that's a battle you're going to have a lot if you follow Jesus. St. Teresa of Avila said, Jesus, no, no wonder you have so few friends considering the way you treat them. This is what the human experience is like. Bad things happen. Tough things happen. Challenging things happen. And there is this sense that we just kind of, tell me if I'm wrong, we just kind of naturally believe that if I love God, then he won't let bad things happen to me in my life. We just kind of naturally believe that. Well, God, I love you, and surely you won't let these bad things happen. But can you not see, stay with me, can you not see that that type of love is actually a self-serving love and not a God-honoring love? That I'm actually loving God to avoid something bad happening to me? So who's at the center of my love for God? Me! <laughs> I don't actually love God for his goodness and his glory and his grace and his amazement. I don't love God for who he is. I love God trying to protect me. And this belief, this idea of seeing love and the way we love God is pervasive in all of us, even well-grounded, deep, mature followers of Jesus. It's there. Tim Keller, who's a retired pastor from a Redeemer Presbyterian in New York City, 
remarkable man. I've read a lot of his stuff. I encourage you to read anything by him. Google his name. Watch sermons by him. Um, when you watch him preach, you'll think, I don't think I can go listen to Stephen preach anymore. I mean, like he's really, really, really good. He was diagnosed with uh, pancreatic cancer a few years ago. And if you know anything about pancreatic cancer, you don't normally get to survive as long as he has. But they found it really, really early. And he's been fighting it hard ever since. And I was listening to a podcast recently where he was being interviewed. And he said in his podcast, if I'm honest, Kathy and I, we had been preaching against this idea that if you are good and you love God and you serve God, then he'll not let bad things happen to you. We've been preaching against that idea my whole ministry. But when it happened to us, when it happened to us, if I'm honest, there was a part of me that went, well, wait a minute, God. Like we've been doing all this for all these years. We've been sacrificing and living on pennies and living in Manhattan and giving up our lives for the kingdom. And then here we are in our retirement years thinking we're going to travel and thinking we're going to have time together and not, and we're just going to write together. And we're going to spend these last few years together just being together. And you let cancer come into our lives? And he said that he and Kathy, literally, they, they sat together and they talked about this and they had to pray and they repented together of this false belief about God. That God, if I love you, you won't let bad things happen to me. They had to repent of that. And here's a guy who has been preaching against this for years and it was pervasive in his heart. And I'm telling you, it's pervasive in all of our hearts. It's pervasive in mine. This idea that God, I love you, but it's in a sense, I'm loving you, hoping you won't let bad things happen to me. And then when they do, I'm like, well, why did I love you in the first place? That's in all of our hearts. And what I think has to change. is we have to stop bartering with God using our love as chips at the table. Our service as chips at the table. Our devotion. Our financial giving. Whatever it is. Our trying to avoid the big sins. Our not going home with that guy. You know, like, I'm, God, look, I'm trying really hard. You're not going to let bad things happen, right? We got to stop loving God that way. And we have to start loving God by looking backwards at what God has already done for you. Years ago, I went to see a mentor of mine. He was in the hospital. He'd had a heart attack. He had nine children, so they weren't all there. A few of them were there. His wife was there. And I remember his whole family just were pleading with God for him to live and survive. And he did. He did live and survive. But when I got there, I said, David, I'm praying for you to live, obviously. But I want you to know, David, your greatest need has already been met. Your greatest need was to have your sins removed from you as far as the east is from the west. Your greatest need was to have the righteousness of Christ imputed into you so that you would be righteous forever and be able to live in God's presence for all eternity. Your greatest need, David, 
has been met through the blood of your Savior, Jesus Christ. And whether you live or die through this open heart surgery is inconsequential. Because nothing changes the fact that you will live forever. You see, there's a part of us that has to live our daily life loving God, not in the hope hoping that he won't, but loving God by looking back and realizing that he let the worst thing that could happen happen to his son on our behalf. Like the very worst thing that could happen happened. An innocent man crucified on my behalf. And this is where my love has to come from. Not a devotion that says, hey, please don't, I'm I'm bartering with you, I'm going to be devoted, I'm going to serve you, I'm bartering with you. No, a devotion that says, when I look at what you've done for me, I have nothing but love for you. And I surrender my life to you. And I give you every part of my my being. And I sacrifice for you. And I done for Joshua was look backwards. Look at all he's done. One of you equals a thousand. No one's been able to stand against you. And why? Because he was with you. This is what we're learning. We look backwards and we see what God has done. And we are devoted to him because of that. I want to read to you Paul's words. The Apostle Paul, who wrote these words to the Christians at Rome in a letter. Listen to this, Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. He says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Can Stop, just look at it slowly. Look, if you're, if you're attending online, read that on the screen. But God, what? What does that say? He what? Demonstrates. He for us in this. While we, while Stephen was still a sinner, while we were still sinners, Christ died for me. Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, not by your good behavior, not by your church attendance, not by your giving money away, not by your trying to do good and avoid the bad sins. None of these things justify us. None of these things make us right with God. We've been made right with God by His blood. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him, through Jesus? Come on, man. Look at this. The, The blood of Jesus Christ justified me, maybe as if I had never sinned in God's presence. But in addition to that, the life and the death of Jesus Christ has saved me from the coming wrath and judgment of God that is coming against sin. So when people ask you, well, Stephen, what does it mean to be saved? What have you been saved from? You just simply say to them, I've been saved from the wrath and the judgment of God through the blood of Jesus, and you need it too, because it's coming. I know we don't like to talk about that, but this is what the Bible says. I don't, I don't write the mail, I just read the mail. I heard a preacher say that recently, isn't that good? I don't write the mail, I just read, this is, I'm just reading the mail, this is literally a letter. He says, end of verse 9 again, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, whoo, come on now, this is, this is hard, right? This is hard. You're like, Stephen, do you think people are God's enemies? I don't think anything. 
I just read the mail. Just read the, I just read the letters. This is God. God's, God's inspiring the Apostle Paul. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I wish you'd go home and read all of chapter 5 and all of chapter 6 today. I wish you would. Paul's saying, we were enemies. We were enemies of God, sinners, choosing to ignore God. God moved first on our behalf. We didn't love him. He first loved us, First John. We didn't love him. We hated him. We hate, we're his enemy. We hate him. He loves us. He moves on our behalf. He comes and he grabs us through the blood of Christ and he reconciles us back to himself. He reconciles us back to himself. So we think, look at what God has done. He's demonstrated his love. He's proven his love. And now in response to his saving us from wrath and judgment, we respond to him with love and devotion. It's just that simple, friend. And so how do we do that? It's very simple. It looks like sacrifice. Sacrifice of your time, sacrifice of your effort for God's kingdom and God's purposes for God's people. It means loosen, listen to this one, it means loosening our grip on this life as the means of your joy, your hope, your peace, your confidence. You loosen the grip on this life and you take his hand firmly in your hand to find your purpose, your meaning, and your hope. That's what it looks like to love God. It means, oh, this one's a tough one. To love God means it means obedience. And I'm not saying perfection because nobody here is perfect. So don't go home feeling like Stephen's like, I got to be perfect if I'm going to love God. No, no. It just means I long to be more obedient. I long for my heart to be more surrendered to Christ. And I pursue that every day. And some days I lose and some days I win. It means obedience. Fighting the good fight. The reason Paul said it's a fight is because it's hard. Fighting the good fight against the lies of Satan and the lies of this world, which are synonymous. It means surrendering our lives for his purposes. It means loving our brothers and sisters with an agape love. A love that isn't always affirming, but it's always sacrificing. And when we love God like this, we're not trying to get something in return because we're loving in response to what he's given us. We've already received. And it isn't that if you don't love God, oh, he's going to get you. No, no, that's not it at all. God's not offended. God's bigger than being offended by us. He's not offended. No, it's a simple natural consequence. If we try to get our hope, peace, joy from anything other than God, you're going to be disappointed. 
and worse than disappointment, we're going to suffer the opposite of hope, peace, joy in this life. It's just that simple. And so may we today, as a body of believers, may we know deep in our being, in your heart, that the Father has already done everything by giving His Son to reconcile you to Himself so that you will never, ever, ever exist outside of His presence. When your physical body dies, you will not be dying. You will be leaving. And that is the gift that the Heavenly Father has given you through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. And may we, in response to that gift, give Him our devotion and love and sacrifice. Come what may in this life, we will love our God. Can you stand with me? Lord, thank you so much for this day. Give us the courage to go from this place. To be honest with ourselves. If we've been loving you like the world loves, trying to get something back, trying to get you to affirm everything about us, let us be honest that we're not actually loving you for you, we're loving you for me. And let us pray, God, that You'll give a bigger revelation to everybody who can hear, this, hear my voice right now. A bigger revelation of who you are. And that we all might respond in sacrifice and selfless devotion for the glory and fame of our Savior Jesus. Who did not consider equality with you, Father, as something to be held on to, but emptied himself took on the form of a human, even that of a slave. And that he subjected himself to death, and not only death, but death on a cross. May his name be glorified for the great gift of his grace. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you, friends. Have a wonderful day and a blessed week.